Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 505. Today, I'm talking about ways of saving you money, or at least answering questions about how to save money on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Here we go. Boy, if there's a topic that everyone always wants to hear about, it's, of course, saving money. Whether you're on a strict vacation planning budget or have unlimited funds, it's great to feel like you've scored the most bang for your buck. And there's always a lot of questions about how to save money on your cruise. So today I wanted to hit some of the biggies as to what you should think about in terms of saving money. And when it comes to saving money on a cruise, by the way, I mean, there are some strategies like do this, not that. But in a lot of cases, you're really talking about ways to think about cruising and certainly how to book and when to book. So sometimes these tips are going to be very specific. Sometimes they'll be a little more broad. Let's start with, of course, the most obvious question. How can I save money on a cruise? The easiest thing you can do is familiarize yourself with standard cruise pricing across the industry so you'll know a good deal when you see one. Now, of course, you need some help for price drop alerts. Well, there's some that you know exist out there, but generally speaking, I found it to be best to do it on your own basically checking periodically for deals that are out there, right? There are newsletters and other services out there that may advertise, hey, you know, we'll let you know about cruise deals like lowest prices. And these websites and newsletters and whatnot, I mean, they they are advertising that. But in a lot of cases, it may not be the sailings you're looking for or more to the point, you've got your eye already on one particular sailing, but you're looking to, of course, you know, bring that price down. Now, additionally, if you live near a cruise port and have flexible schedule, well, you can always look for last minute resident rates as well. Another trick, particularly if you don't anticipate spending much time in your room, is to book, well, a less swanky cabin. Choose an inside or an ocean view cabin instead of a balcony. That can save you a lot of money. For further savings, after you're already on board, you can book your next sailing while you're present on one. Royal Caribbean has the next cruise desk where representatives will almost always try to entice you to make a new reservation. And you can always save a few bucks by reserving shore excursions that are independent of the cruise line. If you're looking for the spa, you can ask about discounts for booking more than one or make an appointment on a port day when services are often cheaper because cruisers are unsure. And then, of course, there's travel agents that can be a great way to save you money. But in general, one of my mantras I always talk about is if you want the best price on your cruise, book it early. The earlier you book, generally speaking, the better your price is going to be because as time goes on and you get closer to your sailing, prices tend to go up. That leads us into our second question, which is, can a travel agent really save me money on a cruise? Travel agents can't offer discounts on cruise fares below what the cruise lines themselves are offering, but they can toss in perks like onboard credit, alternative dining, beverage packages, Wi-Fi packages, depending on what's going on over there. The price of a Royal Caribbean cruise when you book through a travel agent should be about the same as what you book through the cruise line. Now, there are some ways around this in some ways. You'll find maybe better prices with a travel agent because they have special group rates. This is the most common strategy and the common way that you'll find a better rate than you might see advertised on the Royal Caribbean website. Basically, a travel agent sets up a group with Royal Caribbean. And when they set up a group, they freeze the prices at that time. As time goes on, prices go up for other people, but the group rates remain the same. Thus, it looks like a better deal. And that can oftentimes be the case. So in general, yes, they can save you money. It's certainly not going to cost you anything more. Uh, and certainly if they do charge you any fees for their services, well, then they're not a good travel agent, in my opinion. So my advice is definitely go through a travel agent. I always book my cruises through a travel agent. And in many cases, not all the time, but in many cases, you know, I'll reach out to my travel agent about a specific sailing, thinking, okay, well, I already know the price because I did a mock booking on a Royal Caribbean's website. And they come back to me and let me know, hey, it's actually cheaper than you thought. So number three, what should you not buy on a cruise? This is interesting. So what are some things that really just aren't worth spending on a cruise? I mean, this is a very large list you could probably come up with. I'm trying to be as objective as I can. Number one, duty-free items. Sometimes duty-free purchases are a bargain, but often 
you're better off buying alcohol, jewelry, and other priced items at home instead, especially if they're brands that are easy to find. On European sailings, for example, you won't pay duty, but you will pay VAT, which generally wipes out any savings you might have earned via duty-free transaction. Number two, drink of the day glasses. I mean, yeah, they're really cool, and the drinks, of course, are yummy, but you can save a couple dollars if you ask for the same beverage without the souvenir glass. And trust me when I say this, yeah, you won't really use it again, probably because it'll break in your luggage on the way home, and many of these glasses are not very safe in the dishwasher. They'll break, rub off, and then, of course, who wants to manually wash these things? Anyway, it seems like a good idea until it's not. So those are like two that I think are definitely not worth spending extra on. Number four, is it better to book directly with the cruise line? Now, this is kind of a reverse of what I talked about earlier when it comes to travel agents. But although booking with your cruise line will eliminate the middleman, so to speak, you won't get a cheaper price, and it's not always the best idea in terms of value. Travel agents cannot discount fares further than what the cruise line is offering, but they can make sure you get the same price and help you score extras. Again, maybe different promos. I talked earlier about the fact that there are group rates. Another way that travel agents can save you money is in the situation of special amenities. So a lot of times travel agencies are part of conglomerates or they're part of a, a network of travel agencies, I should say. And these networks allow them to add special extras that the cruise line you know, could throw in there. Usually you might see maybe free gratuities or a free meal at a specialty restaurant. You're not going to get that if you book directly with a cruise line. Another question is, can you negotiate cruise prices? No, cruise lines really don't negotiate at all. However, prices often fluctuate with demand, seasonality, and other variables. So the best way for you to find the lowest fare is to monitor your price over several months before booking anything. Although I would argue, in fact, you probably go one step further than that and say, book it early, but keep monitoring the price. And then if there is a better price between now and final payment date, you can reprice it. That is true, by the way, for Americans and Canadians. Residents of other countries may find problems like in the UK, you can't do that. But if you're from the US or Canada, definitely do that. Um, now, of course, there's also the ability to bid on cabin upgrades, and this is basically the closest you're going to get to negotiating a price. Basically, you're telling Royal Caribbean, if there was a room available for this category, I'd be willing to pay X amount of dollars per person in order to upgrade there. The problem with bidding for a cabin upgrade, and we should probably do an episode about this on the podcast, but the issue is that rarely are there cabins available. Basically, they send out that Royal Up offer to everybody, but that doesn't mean there's actually cabins available to upgrade to, and of course, you have no idea what anyone else bid for it. It's a very blind system, and it just, I think, leads to more frustration than anything else. But theoretically, yes, you could negotiate for a cabin upgrade, assuming there's an available option for you. Another question I often get asked, is it cheaper to pre-bake gratuities on a cruise? And the answer is no, unless you prepay your gratuities before a rate increase goes up. So Royal Caribbean has a set per person, per day amount that it will charge everybody for their gratuities based on the type of cabin they're staying in. That amount doesn't increase or decrease based on when the gratuities are paid. But if you prepay them today and then next month, next year, sometime before you're sailing, Royal Caribbean announces an increase in gratuities, they will almost always, in fact, they've always honored the old rate if you locked it in there. So no, you don't get a discount for prepaying, but if they were ever to raise the prices of the gratuities before you're sailing, then you would be able to, uh, by prepaying, have a lower price. Now, this leads us to a really common question. We talked about it already, like in general terms, but what happens if I book a cruise and the price goes down? If you haven't reached the final payment date window and you're a resident of certain countries like the U.S. or Canada, you can call your travel agent or the cruise line to ask for a price adjustment and they'll usually oblige by it. 
If you've already paid for your cruise in full, you can work with the cruise line to see if circumstances they might offer you an upgrade. Um, when it comes to making final payment, sometimes people ask, you know, should I make final payment early or not? My advice is leave off like two or $500 off your cruise fare. So that way, if there is a price adjustment because there's a price drop before final payment date, it's a lot easier than having them refund the money. But if you're past final payment date, then there's nothing you can do at that point. Um, it, it, Royal Caribbean will not adjust the price for you if you're past final payment date. So, you know, keep that in mind. Also, when you're repricing, by the way, something to, something else to think about is think of the big picture. So you might be looking at it and be like, oh, you know what? This price is cheaper for the cruise fare. But don't forget onboard credit and other promos that are available that you might lose out on. When you reprice a cruise, uh, basically it's as if you're booking it again from scratch. So if previously you had booked the cruise and you had, you know, free gratuities as part of a booking promo from your travel agent and you're repricing now and the price has gone down 50 bucks, well, that promo may not be back yet for the free gratuities and that means you're actually potentially paying more depending on, of course, the situation and whatnot. So something to keep in mind. Uh, what is the cheapest month to take a cruise? Now, the cheapest month to take a cruise in the Caribbean is definitely hurricane season. That's between the months of November and June, or I should have said June to November, when hurricanes are most likely to occur in the Atlantic. Now, there's two reasons for that. Number one, the prospect of a hurricane scares off some people from going on a cruise. Number two, it's a very warm time of the year. The, the summer and early fall are the off-season for Caribbean cruises because it's warm. People are going elsewhere, Europe, Alaska, etc., so the summertime of the Caribbean, even though the Caribbean is a year-round cruise market, summertime is the down season. You'll have less ships in port, and hurricane season is part of that. It's not the exact reason, but it's part of that. Also, school's back in session, at least for the second half of that. When you get to mid-August, a lot of families are unwilling to go on cruises. And by the way, mid-August through October is the peak of hurricane season. That means there'll be the most storms at that point. So if you're looking to book a cruise into the Bahamas or the Caribbean between June and November... You'll probably find some really good deals, especially between, again, I would say August through November. Uh, in addition to that, if you're looking for non-hurricane season, January, the month of January, except for, of course, New Year's Eve and maybe even MLK weekend is usually bottom rate rates. If you're willing to go on a cruise like the last week of January or the first week of January after New Year's, you're almost always going to get a heck of a deal by doing that. Oftentimes, people also want to know, do cruises get cheaper close to departure? Yes, but it won't be publicized, and this is particularly true of higher-end cabins. So if you have your heart set on a suite or a balcony, don't bank on finding a deal a month before you're sailing. There are last-minute deals, but they're few and far between. They're usually in, you know, random weeks, and in addition to that, there may be very few cabins available for you. So really, last-minute deals are good if you are living near a cruise port and can easily get there. Certainly, in a lot of cases... If you have to fly, it's going to negate any last-minute cruise deal because you're going to pay extra for flights and whatnot trying to book a last-minute flight. So they do exist. The best way to find out last-minute deals is to usually just randomly check the Royal Caribbean website, check with the travel agent. They can usually let you know about those kinds of deals that are out there because travel agents especially, they're booking so many cruises that they're going to run across these sooner or later and say, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. And lastly, how much cash should you bring on a cruise? Now, when you're on a cruise ship, it's cashless, like for your transactions, like you go to buy a drink, go to the spa. It's all via the CPAS card, right? But of course, you still need cash for other things, right? Um, and it's a really good idea to bring small bills for tipping luggage porters and embarkation, crew members who deliver your bags, and room service to your cabin, as well as tipping tour guides, transportation operators. It's a really good idea because it helps you, and you might need them for souvenirs anyway while on shore. Although daily gratuities are automatically added to your onboard account, you might also choose to tip extra in cash to crew members 
who have been particularly helpful. And this amounts, of course, are at your discretion, but this is probably the most useful case. And of course, the casino. Don't forget about the casino, because if you want to play in the casino on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, you're going to need it. Speaking of cash on Royal Caribbean, it's all U.S. dollars. It does not matter where Royal Caribbean sails from, Australia, Europe, U.S., it's all U.S. dollars. And uh, you can always exchange them for different currencies on board. But when you're talking about the month, the cash you're using to, you know, tip somebody or to pay for service on there, U.S. dollars is the way to go right there. So I hope these questions kind of answer some really basic how to save money or just money in general on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And hopefully it helps you get a better sense of what you should or shouldn't do. Good approaches for that. All right, friends, time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer emails you have sent me about Royal Caribbean. You can always email me your questions by saying to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. First email is from Mike, writes, Hi, Matt, love the blog. And here's a question that I've always, it's always controversial, but I feel like there's a legit reason for asking about this. Given that housekeeping is now universally once a day for anyone below a suite, shouldn't the tip amount reflect that? In other words, it was $16 a day with twice a day housekeeping. And knowing that the portion of that was going directly to the room steward, now that the room steward is able to do more rooms and therefore make more new tips, shouldn't this have been adjusted downward? I'm not some cheapskate that refuses to tip. I'm just just the belief that the tip amount shouldn't necessarily be given the same service itself is no longer the same. You know, it's interesting, Mike. So there's a couple things to think about. Number one, the so what's behind the scenes, and this isn't necessarily, I've not heard this from Royal Caribbean, but I've heard it from enough crew members that I think it's probably true, is that what Royal Caribbean did when they went to once a day service with the housekeeping is the uh-huh. housekeeper themselves has to service more rooms um, rather than doing it twice a day, if that makes sense. So more rooms at once a day than the less rooms at twice a day, if that makes sense. They're still doing a lot of work for them. Here's what I would say about the gratuities. This is how I looked at it from the get-go. Number one, they work really hard, the crew members do. And I think they deserve I think they should be paid more, quite frankly, but that's a different story. Number three, the gratuity amount, um, you know, there was an increase in October of 2022, but that was the first increase in like four years. I think Honestly, that's a fair increase for once every four years. I mean, I think that they certainly deserve that. But I understand this idea that, like, well, I'm getting half the service. I'm only getting once a day service. Why should I be paying the same amount of gratuities that I was paying for twice a day service? And I'll just fall back on my answer, which is that I still think they deserve it. They work extremely hard, uh, and especially service your cabin. I mean, I, I don't know, Mike, if you travel, who you travel with. I've got kids on mine, and my goodness, they make such a mess, and it's amazing what our rooms look like when they come in through it. And unlike, you know, when you go to a hotel room and you might see like, you know, the cabinet or hotel attendants, whatever you call them, you know, hotel, they're usually, they don't say, they don't say a word to you. Maybe they don't even smile at you, right? They're just working there. And, you know, it's a different dynamic on a cruise ship. They get to know you. They say hello to you. They're friendly. I don't have any problem paying the gratuity for that. I understand that this idea of, you know, again, it was twice a day to once a day. But I still think that even at twice a day, uh, they deserved it and they're hardworking. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I would say my problem <laughs> with gratuities is, and I've gone on the soapbox before, so forgive me if you've heard me say this like 800 times already. Gratuity should be part of the cruise fare. It should not be a separate item as if it's optional or as if it's like something extra. It's part of the it's part of the experience and it's compulsory. It should be part of the cruise fair. Just stop making it 
if I say stop ad, so Royal Caribbean, should stop making it the other way around. I know why they don't do that, because they want to advertise a lower rate, you know, to entice people to book, but I think it's silly. Just make it part of the cruise fare, because Royal Caribbean is the first to also talk about how important the crew members are to them, and if that's the case, which I believe that that is the case for them, I think they should absolutely, um, they should absolutely make gratuities part of the cruise fare. Anyway, there you go. There's my rant for the day. Next, we have an email from KD. Hi, Matt. Our family, uh, two adults and four kids, went on Mariner of the Seas last October. We were extremely disappointed in the teen club and teen activities on board. The club was only open a couple hours a day. There was nothing to do but video games and only had a couple teen group activities the entire cruise. Now we're struggling to get our kids to go to another cruise. Can you recommend a ship that has a better teen club with more involvement? I can certainly recommend which ships have a better teen club, but the teen involvement is a bigger issue. So the better teen clubs are definitely the Oasis and Quantum class ships. Especially the new ships, KD, if you go on a ship that, like Odyssey, Wonder, Symphony, and Icon coming up, they have, Royal Caribbean has spent millions of dollars in these. The, the spaces are magnificent. The problem is, um, and this is true of Mariner, just as much as any ship you're going to go on, the involvement has less to do with Royal Caribbean and more to do with the teens that attend. Royal Caribbean is recognizes that, listen, teens, when you get to, it's hard to tell a 16-year-old that they should go do activities as if they're still, you know, an 8-year-old, if that makes sense. Royal Caribbean wants the teen club to be inviting, but not overbearing. They don't want it to be a classroom. They don't want it to feel like, I've got to go, or that the counselors there are going to, you know, be like, you know, come on, Bobby, you got to sit down and, you know, be with the group. Teens want to meet other teens and socialize. They're on vacation. So, by design... Royal Caribbean makes its teen club this hub, the spot they can go to. In my experience, and my my oldest is now only getting into this, but I've observed it in my own, you know, going through and seeing other people's teens and whatnot. My experience has been that a lot of teens go to the teen club, especially on the first day of the cruise, meet other teens, and they kind of come and go. They might start their evening there, see their friends, go somewhere else, come back, and so forth. As to a particular sailing, there may be more there or less that are less active. You know, you went on in October, and I'm not sure exactly when in October you went, but traditionally, October is a slow time for families because school is in session. As an example, Katie, if you had done the same cruise over spring break or summer or Christmas, I think you would have had a lot more teens and probably, but not guaranteed, more engagement, uh, involvement, if you will. So it's a bigger issue. But definitely the bigger venues, the nicer venues, 14s, are absolutely on the newer ships. No question about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to share a quick story with you guys uh, about the teens, though. I just remind, I just remembered it. Uh, we were at a media event, and Michael Bailey, who's the Royal Caribbean CEO, he was he was just saying this off the cuff, and I, I, this, it was just a funny story. You know, Royal Caribbean spends, you know, millions of dollars on designing new teen clubs, but in reality, they should just design a staircase, is what he said, because they always end up in the staircases anyway. So, anyway, I thought that was amusing. Next, we have an email from one of my very good friends, Mike Pastore. Hey, Matt, congratulations on your 500th podcast. What an awesome milestone. Going from a hobby to a full-time job, you alone to now you alone to now having a great staff keeping us excited to cruise during a time we were unsure of the future of cruising, including many of us and our cruise stories on the podcast. Thanks for taking us on your recent European cruise adventure and Icon's construction tour. Congratulations on your upcoming milestone of moving up to Pinnacle. Wish I could be there to join you on the celebration. I'll see you on Icon. Cheers to another 500. Mike, thank you so much, my friend. Very, very kind. Um, I've known Mike now for a little while, and he's got a great family, and um, it, it means a lot. Thank you for the very, very kind email. Thank you. Next email is from Valerie. It says, I'm a new listener to the podcast and found you through YouTube while doing research. I've never been on a cruise, and I've learned a lot from watching your videos and listening to the podcast. My question is, 
do is my question has to do with the itinerary and flying in. I'll be getting married on April 27th, 2024, and our honeymoon cruise to Alaska on Quantum starts on April 29th. I know this is just flying in a day early, but right now I'm not sure we'll be able to do that. I know it's on itinerary, it shows British, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, day one, uh, day two, 3.30 a.m. Does that mean the ship will be staying in port until 3.30 a.m. the next day after boarding? And if so, does that mean you can board the ship anytime up to day two at 3.30? No. Um, you're going on Quantum. Quantum believes from Seattle, and it'll visit Vancouver, uh, Victoria, actually, the next day, day two. And it's going to be there. I think the issue is that you're getting there. They're doing a technical stop, which means they're... Because of U.S. law, they have to make a foreign stop. And so real occurrence like, well, really, this is, I mean, they won't say this, but this is what they really mean with a stop like this. When you're only stopping there for a couple hours, they're like, we're just going to stop here to satisfy the law and then move on. And the fact that you're stopping from whatever time on day 1 to 3.30 a.m. means that you're going to do a, you're coming there late night so you can get in and get out. But no, you can't necessarily do that. Um, when it comes to uh, your, your original issue, which is flying in, I mean... I know you've heard me say this, Valerie, but, I mean, you're playing with fire if you fly in the same day of your cruise. Um, you're getting married on the 27th. If I were you, I would be get married on the 27th, the morning of the 28th, take the first flight out. You're going to be tired from the wedding. I get it. you got to fly out on the 28th. Uh, you got to be in Seattle on the 28th. So that way, if there is a delay, if there is a cancellation, you still have a little bit of runway to make it for the 29th. That's the way to do it. Beyond that... I mean, yeah, you know, you can do red eyes. You could fly in the early morning. I mean, you're playing with, with fire, in my opinion. There's just more risk involved. That's all. Not to say that people haven't been able to do it. There's more risk. But, no, you can't look at it. Um, your, your embarkation port is your embarkation port. Once you don't, if you miss that, you can call the Royal Caribbean. They have a hotline for same-day issues there. But there's no guarantee they'll be able to get you on the next port, necessarily. And even if you do miss it, by the way, and you're on your, you booked your own flight... Um, you're gonna have to get yourself to you know the next port, and there's issues with U.S. law. Um, as an example, in fact, I think in Alaska this might not work. If you don't get to Canada, um, you have to make a foreign stop. I'm not sure it would actually be legal for you to do that via the or per the um, Passenger Vessel Services Act, the PVSA. Sometimes people call it the Jones Act. That applies to cargo shipping, not passengers. But anyway, I digress. Um, the PVSA might not might prevent you from doing that. So. Something to keep in mind there. Uh, anyway, get get there a day early. Um, I know you're getting married, which congratulations, by the way. But again, that next day, the 28th, fly in. That would be my, my recommendation to you. And our last email is from uh, Mark. Hey, Matt, love your videos. Question, I'm on a lure this season in November just after reposition of Port Canaveral. My question is around parking. After just being repositioned, I'm thinking uh, not a lot of cars leaving the terminal garage when the ship arrives. So my question is... Do you have any tips on making sure I get a place to park at the terminal garage? I purchased the key for early boarding. Hope this will help. The key won't help you with parking at all. But the thing is, um, and I've seen this firsthand with Wonder of the Seas, is when the parking garage fills up a pork and which it does, they park you around somewhere in the immediate area. There's a lot of empty fields and um, pieces of land nearby, and they just start parking them over there. So they'll, they'll find a spot for you, Mark. I don't, I'm not aware that they've ever sent, sent anyone away. Like, sorry, we have no more parking. It is a problem in Port Canaveral. They're, they're bringing more ships, bigger ships. Um, it's definitely a phenomenon I've, I've noticed in the last year or so, but they'll get you in there, especially, Mark, if you're doing the right thing and getting there early in the morning. I think you'll have a better shot at it than somebody who arrives at, you know, 1 o'clock. But um, I, I have no reason to believe you'll be turned away. So I would certainly go about it that way. And if you did, 
At worst case, I mean, you know, there's a lot of offsite parking places that I'll have availability you can simply drive to and probably show up there. Uh, but I don't even know that I would even consider that as an option. I, I honestly, I just don't think it's quite, I don't say realistic, but it hasn't really popped up as a possibility. So I don't really think about it that way. So thank you, Mark, for your email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Green Blog podcast. Of course, if you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcreenblog.com, Matt, at royalcreenblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again.